Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A record 176 medals. The most successful games in a near century of Commonwealth Games competition. And on home soil in an event which our guest was involved in planning from day one. Birmingham 2022 was a triumph and Team England's performance was history-making for a number of reasons. That medal hall, the age range of the medalists, the participation of para-athletes, and for the first time ever, a team numbering more women than men. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And so with so much being achieved, it's perhaps not unsurprising that the man in charge decided that was the right moment to step down. And the 176 medals is worth noting because the former chief executive of Team England is now leading a new organisation, a consultancy committed to helping organisations deliver operational excellence. Yeah, that was a very flattering introduction. My name is Paul Blanchard. I'm founder and chief executive of 176 Sport and former chief executive of Commonwealth Games England. Well, we will, of course, go on to talk about Team England and about Birmingham 2022. I might even mention I was on the Gold Coast in 2018 when John wasn't, because that is a theme of our podcast. But first of all, fantastic to have you on Great British Bosses. Tell us about this this new initiative then, this new business, what it is that you are doing and hoping to do. Thank you. Yeah, I was with Commonwealth Games England until March of this year after transitioning the uh, organisation post-Birmingham and felt after two tours of duty with uh, Team England, it was probably time to do something else. And that something else is something I want to do myself. So I've set up 176 Sport, which uh, has been inspired by a number of medals that uh, Team England won. Um, And it's a consultancy. So it's me, basically. And I am uh, talking to a number of organisations about trying to help them with organisational excellence but also in the space of uh, major event bidding, which clearly I was very heavily involved in. So 
Um, at the moment, it's early days, but things are progressing very well. And the beauty of sort of being on your own is, you know, you can pick and choose to a degree what you want to do, but also it's important to know that you can't do everything. And uh, and so you need some people around you. And I've got a number of people in a sort of informal network that are like-minded people who are specialists in areas that I am not, such as brand branding or hospitality or or venues. So with this sort of group of like-minded people, we think we can bring some decent knowledge, some practical experience, and some sensible recommendations to organisations. Paul, you've worked in sport and marketing for much of your career. How different is it from when you started, from the the fact that we put on these events? Because we never used to put on any events. Oh, no. I mean, I've been around the block for 30-odd years, and, you know, it has changed enormously. When I got involved, you know, it was a cottage industry sport, and most clubs and organisations were basically very small, unprofessional, run by volunteers, you know, limited commercial um, knowledge. And I just didn't have the vision i think that um the sports sector has got now as to what actual benefits and huge impact that sport can bring so if i look back to those very early days you know people just sort of fell into it really now there is a huge industry and now the industry employs a whole host of professionals so you know you whatever whatever discipline that you are trained in or developed in or worked in, you know, a lot of that is transferable into sport, whereas 30 years it wasn't. You just got involved as a volunteer and did whatever whatever came along. So uh, it's a much it's a much more competitive place now, and it's probably a bit more cutthroat and it's arguably less enjoyable, but it's still, you know, now it is a, you know, it is a very, very exciting place to work. But in this country, we've staged the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, the Rugby World Cup, all in the in the last 10 years and many, many more events than that. How quickly should we do it again or should we be looking at different sports? If you look at um, UK sport who drive the major events strategy, they're a very talented organisation. They're a very switched on organisation. And, you know, they will look across a whole range of sports and events and associated activities look over a 10-year period so there's some real thought and research goes into it now it's not a knee-jerk reaction about that sounds quite nice the whole chairman's wife principle around sponsorship that that always used to be there um so i think you know when you look at what what we've hosted over the last 10 years and what they're looking to host over the next 10 years and more events will come on stream i, I think they're getting it about right you know you talk about major events like european football championships uh, at one end of the spectrum, one of my uh, one of our Commonwealth sports table tennis, you know, have got a a world championships in 2026, which is the first time uh, the country has hosted, I think, for 50 years. So there is a really, really good mix of what you would call tier one sports, then two and tier three sports, and also new sports as well. So it is a good mix. There's a lot of expertise in there. And, and one of the main attractions is whatever event comes to the UK, and it doesn't matter which part of the UK it is, you know, the organisers and the rights holders can be pretty much assured that the, the presentation, the event will be done in a top class format. Athletes will be happy, sponsors will be happy, broadcasters will be happy. There'll be big crowds, you know, all, all the key in degree, ingredients of a successful event can be delivered here. I think 
when I heard you say that you are working not necessarily just in sport, my mind, for some reason, went back to the Eurovision Song Contest. And obviously we've had sort of recent stories about how much money that generated for the, the Liverpool City region. But major events and hosting and organising them isn't necessarily always a licence to print money, is it? Because you look at the London Diamond League Athletics this year and that seemed to lose money. So it does need to be done in the, the right way. And I think the feeling at the moment is that in this country we are, despite that disappointment about the athletics that I said, the, the kind of world leaders in, in doing things like this. Is that fair to say? I would say so. I think we've got you know world-leading expertise so when an event, when the possibility of staging an event, and your original song contest is a really good example because the creative director there uh, was the same creative director as, as the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, I saw a lot of similarities in the way that Liverpool presented. Um, you know, it's clearly a completely different event, but the, but the presentation style was similar. Some of the activities that went al alongside it were very similar. You know, and that's a good playbook because Birmingham worked extremely well. Birmingham played to full houses, to very positive media coverage, to great TV audiences. And the Eurovision Song Contest did the same. So I think you've got you've got the best in breed of people who can actually deliver events. As I said before, you've got um, a, a, a population that likes and thrives on major events. Therefore, it is rare when a major event doesn't sell a lot of tickets. Um, does happen, but it's much rarer. You know, and you've seen this in, in India with the Cricket World Cup, which seems to have been going on for years. But, you know, when India played, amazing, fantastic, full stadium, but most other teams tracked it about, you know, 10 20%. So it's a really important element of, of being able to deliver an event. And I think because the expertise is there, the planning, the budgeting, projections are all done with an awful lot of experience and an awful lot of expertise. And therefore, there are very few surprises when the UK hosts events. So we must move on then to talk about the Commonwealth Games, which obviously has been the reason that, uh, you know, you have been at the level that you've been with, with Commonwealth Games England and Team England over the past um, few years. No current host um, for the Games after Victoria stepped down in July 2023. Why? Why are we struggling then to find someone to, to step up after the success of Birmingham? I think, I mean, there's a number of factors. It's a very complicated situation here. But part of the reason is, you know, that, that there wasn't enough prep work done in the last seven or eight years to make sure that the pipeline of hosts was was strong and there. Um, there was, a, I think, a, a, a sort of an approach that was too laissez-faire and too relaxed and didn't really focus on the need to make sure that, you know, this event is not an easy sell because of the costs involved, although the benefits are there and the benefits are clear to Birmingham, they're clear from Manchester, they're clear from Glasgow, but the benefits are long-term. And of course, you know, most organisations, most governments, most states, most funding bodies have short-term um, pressures that sometimes override the long-term benefits. So not enough work was done. I think I, th I think the board um, took it for granted that somebody would step up. And that's, well, that did happen eventually with, with Victoria. But of course, 12 months later, they pulled out. And with no host for 30, it's a pretty grim picture at the moment. So th there is no question that the model needs to change and needs to change very quickly because they're not going to get away a games that was that is Birmingham or Gold Coast or Glasgow on that scale, I don't think, in that, that short period of time. 
We need to find a host. They need to find a, a scale of a games that is acceptable, that is manageable, that is um, relatively cheap and efficient to put on, doesn't require a huge amount of capital expenditure, and, and can be done in a short space of time. Frankly, where are they going to find that? I don't know at the moment. And you mentioned Victoria there, Paul, because it, it feels like surely another part of Australia is going to have to step up and, and host this event from the fact that they were the ones that, that pulled out. I mean, our understanding is that the Exchequer here are, are not very keen to stand in in 2026, having already stood in for Birmingham 2022. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the Joker was played really in 2022 when, when Birmingham did step in because we were actually planning for a 2026 bid that was then fast-tracked through to 2022 when, you know, it, it was sort of, it was a bit of a slow death for for, for Durban and South Africa, but it was clear from um, some way out that that Games was likely to go pear-shaped, therefore effectively 26 was fast-tracked. But that joke has been played. There is no appetite in UK sport or DCMS to repeat the dose in 26. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who said, you know, it's, it's just not in the strategy, not on the radar. The only reason we do it is if we're told to do it. So I think that sort of sums up the UK's position. You're right. The most obvious place is, is Australia. And there's a number of states that could do it, that could step in now and do it. But the fact that nobody stuck their hand up yet is a concern for the movement um, because it's six months on now from Victoria's decision to withdraw. Now, I understand that states were wanted to sit back and wait to see how things played out, didn't want to sort of, in inverted commas, trample over Victoria's grave, which I, I fully understand. Um, but given that a, a, an Australian Games would be, early, excuse me, early part of 2026, you know, March, April times, you know, you're less than 30 months away from that. So any decisions need to be taken, need to be taken fairly quickly. And quite clearly, I don't think anybody is going to do it on the scale that Victoria had planned. You didn't say it, so I'm not putting words in your mouth and I'll say it. They effectively took their eyes off the ball. Uh, they they lost the chief exec. They got a new chief exec. They've now got a new president. I mean, Chris Jenkins from Wales, who's just been appointed the new president, he's got a heck of a job on his hand, hasn't he? Well, he's a very talented individual. I think they've made the right choice. That's good. But, uh, along with Chris, there's a... You know, there's a refresh of the board as well because of the various vice presidents changing. And I think most of that you would regard as very positive news. Um, Katie Sadlier is relatively new to the job, although she's now been in probably about 18 months, possibly two years, and, it, and is much more focused than the previous regime was on actually sorting out the core problem, which is getting hosts. So I think you've got you've got the, you've got a good group of people in place there that get it. But, of course, it is a very full inbox for Chris, and it's a very complicated inbox for Chris. You know, and and however good a sports administrator he is, and he's very good, you know, he isn't Paul Daniels, and it's going to take him a bit of time to actually stamp his personality on, you know, on the organisation and get them focused. But you're right, you know, they, they did take their half the ball, and they're paying the price for it at the moment. You just hope that Chris can get the eyes back on the ball and they can find probably a scaled down solution for 26 but frankly it doesn't matter you know a solution for 26 is a solution for 26 and then you move on from there i'm not sure we've done an episode of great british bosses before that's referenced the eurovision song contest and paul daniels in the uh first 15 minutes i've got to be honest with you i'm going to throw a couple of solution potential solutions at you paul and i'd just be interested in in your opinion on these because john and i have been blogging 
on our Anything But Footy website about what happens next for the Commonwealth Games. Solution number one, then, that you spread the events across different nations. So, for example, have cricket in India, have cycling in London, rugby sevens in New Zealand, have something in South Africa, something in Canada. That that could be a potential way of hosting it. So I'll get your view on that in a moment. Solution number two, which I blogged about recently, a Northern Powerhouse um, bid. So my blog was called Spread the Risk, Spread the Love. Could you have a Commonwealth Games that perhaps spread across Liverpool, Manchester, Yorkshire, up to Middlesbrough, Sunderland and Newcastle? That would be a second solution. Your views on, on either of those, could they work? Um, I think that solution number one, um, the multi-territory solution, is an extremely good one, and, and it's something that European Games, for instance, has introduced recently, you know, using several centres across Europe to host games. So absolutely, yes, that might be the model moving forward. I think it is difficult because of the the challenges of pulling that together logistically um, to put that in place for 26, and that is more likely to be a longer-term solution, but I definitely see that as a, as a strong possibility. The Northern Powerhouse one I think is a great solution, actually, um, but it does require central government, UK sport, BCMS support, and there is no appetite for it at the moment. So, again, I don't think that's particularly a 26 solution. Both of them could work and both of them could happen. I doubt if either will in 26. I think the most likely solution for 26 is a scaled-down games of perhaps 10 or 12 sports, much cheaper, perhaps over a week or eight days, which again reduces the cost. The most likely venue being Australia, as we've we've already discussed. Um, the other possibilities, India is, is definitely uh, an option. Now, India seemed to be very keen on uh, an Olympic bid for 36. And so the, the suggestion was that the Commonwealth Games might have missed the boat. But with Saudi Arabia seemingly lining up for, for 36, then India might might redirect their thinking and their funding towards the 26 games. Um, that's a possibility. Or they look outside the Commonwealth. Um, again, going back to the Middle East, where you know there is a huge appetite to host major international events. There is unlimited budget. They would do a fantastic job, but it largely flies in the face of what the Commonwealth stands for. So... It's a tricky one. So there are options, but there's not an obvious solution. And there isn't one that I would regard to be a strong odds on favourites at the moment. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because I think if one thing that, that the death of the Queen and the coronation of the new King taught us is actually that the Commonwealth as an organisation is an organisation that's in quite rude health. Nations want to join the Commonwealth. And yet the Commonwealth game seems to be the the poorly sick child of the organisation at the moment. sad thing about that is actually the Commonwealth Games is probably the highest profile, most impactful you know, event that the Commonwealth movement uh, actually puts on. I mean, it does a, does a lot of activity in a four-year cycle, but the, but the thing that generates the most coverage and probably the most positive coverage is the Games. But across the Commonwealth, there's a lot of very small territories that don't have the infrastructure, the expertise, the money to host. So you are looking at a small pool of, of potential hosts. That multi-territory solution that you touched on there in option one is, is, is potentially the way forward because it brings much more hosts to the table, but it's a complicated network to put together. 
And I don't think it, it, it would be a big ask to try and put that together for 26, but a much more likely scenario from 30 onwards. What happens if 2026 doesn't happen? Um, that, I think, um, is a very worrying scenario. Now, there's a possibility, and they've already talked about it, push it to 27. And I think that's, it's not ideal, but but it's a games in the cycle. So that's still a possibility. But I think you could only push it to 27 if you've got a realistic hope of getting a 27. So, you know, you can't get to the end of 26 and go, well, we'll put it to 27, but you've actually got no idea where it's going to go. So there has to be 27 with a plan. Um, and that doesn't happen at the moment. If you don't get a 26 or 27 away, then unless in that period of time you have an absolutely rock-solid uh, candidate for 30, there is a very strong risk that the movement just disappears, unfortunately. Other sporting events will move into that space in 26. If you do go to 27, you, you start cramping uh, Olympic qualifying events 12 months out um, from LA, but you can still get an event away. But if there is nothing in that four-year period, then event organisers move on, athletes move on, coaches move on, sponsors move on. And there is a very real risk that the, the Games just disappears. And, you know, it's the last thing I would want to do to, to be involved in a Games in, in Birmingham, which was normally successful. That was the last Games. It would be, it would be you know, a devastating blow for the movement. Who would make the decision, Paul, to end it? Just go, right, as you say, if 26 or 27 doesn't happen and there isn't a 30, who, who is the person who's ultimately going to sit down and go, we've come to the end of the road for this? I think it just happens naturally. I mean, I think, you know, if there's, if there's no host, there's no games. And if there's no games, there's no sports there's no, movement. Now, there's no money, I assume, either, is there? Well, no. I mean, the the the, the CGF's financial model is is based on hosting fees. So, you know, you you, you pay to bid and then you, you pay a hosting fee to the organisation once you've got the games. And that funds... You know, the, the the federation over a four-year cycle or an eight-year cycle um if there's no money coming in there's no federation there's there's you know there's nobody to do anything and while a number of nations have the commonwealth games associations and national olympic committees merged so in essence commonwealth games is just another event in a four-year cycle a number of the bigger territories, the UK, Canada, Australia, have separate Commonwealth Games associations. And again, um, you know, the, if there is no games, there's no funding coming into those organisations, there's no reason to be an organisation. So, um, and, and it goes further than that, because a number of sports, certainly in the UK, but, you know, across the Commonwealth, receive significant amounts of funding from a Sporting and UK sport or equivalent, to um, send athletes to the Commonwealth Games. If there's no games, that funding stream dries up. And funds, so sports, A, don't get the funding to do what they want to do, but also their priorities completely change. And so all the performance targets move away from a Games which doesn't exist to other events. So the ripple effects are absolutely enormous down the sporting food chain, really. It's not just about not having a major event every four years. Um, you know, there, are, there will be a lot, of a lot of collateral damage, very sad collateral damage, actually. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're speaking to Paul Blanchard, the founder and CEO of 176 Sports and the former chief executive of Commonwealth Games England on great British bosses from anything but footy. And Paul, we mentioned right at the start, Team England's success on the Gold Coast in 2018 and, and Birmingham in 2022. You must be very proud of what you've left behind, whatever the future is for the organisation, whether we see a Team England at a Commonwealth Games in the future, you must be very proud of of the two tours of duty, as you put it, that you led. Yeah, I think um, Gold Coast was a difficult games. Going to Australia um, in those circumstances was tricky and the team performed very well. Birmingham was a remarkable success, both, you know, in the pool, on the track, you know, on the field. But it was much wider than that. And Birmingham was always going to be much wider than, than athlete success. It was about, um, again, showcasing the talent of event delivery in England and the UK, showcasing what Birmingham has got to offer, showcasing what the movement has got to offer. Um, So I'm pretty proud of what we as a group achieved over that period of time. And certainly Commonwealth Games England is in a far better place than it was eight years ago. Now, hopefully that that doesn't get derailed by a lack of games, but the organisation in terms of its credibility within the sports movement, the relationships within the high performance system, the relationships with governments and with Sports England, you know, are so much better. Um, and that was a big team effort, you know, and, there, and there's a very, very talented group of people worked with me during that period that were employed by Commonwealth Games England, but but were also um people that supported us through volunteers and, and secondments. And you mentioned earlier on Mark England as, uh, you know, as, as Team GB chef de mission for, for, for Paris, and he was our chef de mission for, for Birmingham and, and did a fantastic job. But so the team is still there in place. There's a lot of fantastic, um, fantastic talent uh, individuals with, with, with an awful lot to offer the sports industry as a whole, and they're, and they're still working there. So, so yeah, delighted what I've done. Very happy to, you know, to, two games is enough for most people, I think. Time to do something else. But the organisation is in a strong position, providing the movement survives. I'm surprised to hear you describe Gold Coast as, as tricky. I found it anything but tricky. I found working on the beach an, an excellent uh, experience, to be honest with you, Paul. There was nothing tricky about it from my point of view. Um Seriously, what what does an organisation like Commonwealth Games England do? We see you very visual during games time. We see the kit. I obviously and John will be very aware of this big media operation you have around your athletes. But but day to day, week to week, the other three years and and fifty weeks, what 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 is the organisation actually working on and doing? Well, it it would work on. Um, I mean, the, the planning and preparation is, you know, is more than four years in the making, really. And, you know, with the Birmingham Cycle, because it's a host association, you know, we were involved in an awful lot of activities that you would normally not be involved in for an overseas games around venue development and, and you know, training facilities and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But on a day-to-day basis, the organisation, I mean, to, to take 
what would have been 400, 450 athletes to Victoria is a huge logistical operation, takes a phenomenal amount of planning. And, and that planning is forensic in its approach because it has to be, because you've got to create the right environment for all those athletes, all those coaches, and all those support staff to, to operate in. So a lot of work is done alongside each of the sports, 20 or 21 sports, to make sure that um, the organisation can create the right set up for each of those sports and while there are a lot of similarities there's an awful lot of differences between how you know you would bring a gymnast through to a, a weightlifter for instance and so a lot of differences there um there's an awful lot of work done in working with the sports working with sport partners working with sporting and uk sport so there's quite a lot of um politics with a soft p i would suggest involved in that process uh generally there is a youth games or there might be two youth games in the cycle which also needs to be done um there's a lot of commercial activity that needs to be to be done in terms of attracting sponsors and partners and supporters during that period of time so it's it's bringing that those partners on board bringing that money on board and then activating those partnerships you touched on kit which is generally the biggest ones a huge one to kit out you know a team like that and, and commonwealth games england have worked with cookery over the last couple of cycles very effectively um, and then it's it's about maintaining the profile of Commonwealth Games England, the high performance system and, and the Commonwealth movement over that period of time. So there's a lot of work done by the media team and particularly now with all the digital tools available, there's some really nice stuff that, that can be done. So it is, um, it's a small team. It'll be eight or nine people for quite a lot of the cycle and then it just explodes with volunteers and additional support staff. But during that period of time, those eight, nine, ten people, whatever, work extremely hard. And I can assure you that, you know, you might be three and a half years of out from the games, but these people are still working extremely hard in an awful lot of planning because most of what is done, you don't really see. But you'd certainly see if it wasn't done. And um you know, and athletes are very keen and coaches are very keen quite rightly to voice their discontent if something's not right so it takes a lot of getting right and a lot of work over a lot of periods long period of time a couple more questions for me a, a tough one maybe an unfair one to start with did the commonwealth games in birmingham bankrupt birmingham no and that, that's nonsense actually and um, and it's it, but it's really unfortunate narrative because the financial problems with birmingham generally every you know the first paragraph of every new news report you listen to or, or, or read mention the fact that it had hosted the Commonwealth Games and invested 180 million. Now, that 180 million was not the problem, um, as most analysts will tell you. You know, it was, it was a long time coming from some disappointing management of the finances over a very long period of time, coupled with you know significant government cuts and council funding. That that that's the problem, not the Commonwealth Games. But of course, coming at the time that it did on the back of Victoria pulling out, you know, it's a very negative narrative. It also lends itself that if a, if a city or a state or a region picks the hand up and says they want to host, for the, for those doubters or those people that have an agenda against the Games, it's it's goldless for them. So it's really, really unfortunate. And absolutely no, it did not bankrupt Birmingham. And the benefits Birmingham have got from the Games far outweigh the investment they put into it. It's a, it's a much bigger and much more complicated story than that. And hopefully, last one, slightly, hopefully easier. Um, are you most proud of the work you did at the Commonwealth Games England? Or what about like delivering the Surrey Sports Park? 
at the University of Surrey. And I think it was like 16 Olympic and Paralympic teams based there in 2012. I mean, that was brilliant. And, 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 you know, the sports park is a fantastic facility down at the University of Surrey. And the work we did down there, um, you know, all, was, a, was a huge platform for a number of Olympic and, and Paralympic teams to succeed in Birmingham. And, I, you know, the number of medals that were won by the teams that came through the sports park. But you, of course, helped by the facilities down there that were absolutely magnificent. So that was a huge achievement. Really pleased about that. And the sports park goes from strength to strength. The, Commonwealth Games England was a much bigger project and a much more complicated project. And of course, um, COVID intervened as well, which, which, which added an extra layer of complexity. But I think with um, my achievements there or the achievements of the team, which is a far better way to describe it, the medals are an obvious one. And, you know, to, to, to win the most medals ever in a Games is a huge plus, and that attracts the media attention. But actually, I think the, the, the main thing what we did was we created an environment that was inclusive, was diverse. Everybody knew what their role was. The feedback that we had was that it was an enjoyable place to work. I mean, it's it's hard work games time, you know, but but the feedback we had was exceptionally positive from athletes and coaches, from volunteers, from secondees, from NGBs and, and other organisations. And to create that environment where people felt wanted, felt part of the team, knew their job, um, that arguably is a bigger achievement, and but it doesn't attract the sort of headlines that the medals or or the broadcast does. So, I think there was a number of things behind the scenes that we did to elevate Team England's profile, and I think you know arguably that's harder than than actually delivering the medals. Well, good luck with everything, Paul. And on behalf of the Anything But Footy podcast and Great British Bosses, thank you as well to you and your exceptional team at Commonwealth Games England for all the support you've given us in the build-up to Birmingham 2022. Paul Blanchard, former Chief Executive of Commonwealth Games England, the founder and CEO of 176 Sport. Thank you for speaking to Great British Bosses. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.